Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And I'm very excited, John, because the court is now in session at the Saga Thing. Ooh. Yes. Now, listen to me now and believe me later. It's time to pass judgment on the Bar Saga. And that means we're ready to kick some owls. See, okay, I, I know what you're going for there, but... I really don't think Hans and Franz are part of the zeitgeist for anybody under, say, about 42. So saying Oss in that context makes it sound like you're doing a slightly unconvincing Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Let me tell you something, John, right now. I'm going to tell you this and you're going to listen, all right? There is nothing bad about Hans and Franz, but that is not what I'm doing. This is just how all snaffle gods sound, right? <laughs> oh, uh, these borderline genre texts make me sick. Oh, so you're doing, you're going to Sly. All right. Uh, I mean, somewhere in between like Sly, Joey Tribbiani, and John Travolta. I don't really know. A- I don't a- really know where a- I landed a- in that trifecta. As long as it starts with <laughs> a-, a-, a, then it's all good. Well, there it is. That's Adrian. the stupidest, uh, stupidest 10 seconds of the entire run of this podcast right there for everyone. <laughs> well, it was a good run while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yes, this is the judgment episode for the saga of Barth, the god of Snafil. And I don't mind telling you, I have a few things to say. Objection. That's a prejudicial statement, John. I think we need to save yes. that. No, yes, it is. I, I'm prejudiced here. <laughs> uh, we've somehow spent about two months in the company of this screwball of a saga. Yeah. And I intend to unburden myself of a few home truths about this one. Oh, well, all right. But that is not how we start off the uh, the judgment episodes. Oh, I'm sorry. We have a system. We have a precedence, John. A precedent. Just as good. So in case you've decided to join us for this episode without listening to the last three or four episodes, well, we're going to be wrapping up our examination of the saga of Barth, the Snaffles House. And honestly, this isn't going to make a lot of sense if you haven't read the saga or listened to our discussion up to this point. So what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> no, no, you don't, you don't berate people for listening to the podcast. Hey, Eddie. you, I'm talking to you, the one who hasn't listened to the other episodes. Stop what you're doing and go backwards. Uh, no, so let's we'll briefly explain the saga. Although you're really you, you're not going to be able to work this out without having listened. Um, so why are we doing this? Briefly, this is the story of a man named Barth Dumson who becomes a land spirit, and then after he becomes a land spirit, has a child with a woman as revenge for her father sleeping with his daughter. And then the second half of the saga sees that child, guest Barthson, being raised by his sister before eventually being killed by a dream vision of his father. And that's just the main plot. These uh, are be- the days of our lives. Oh my god, it is the it is the worst kind of soap opera. Uh, now, there are probably also going to be references to Stone Boats, Bad D&D Campaigns, Snouty the Wonder Dog, and so, so many trolls. All of that happens, yes. And we're going to be judging this weird little saga based on our usual seven categories. We have Best Bloodshed, Body Count, Nicknames, Notable Witticisms, Outlawry, Thingmen, and Final Ratings. All right. Are we ready? Always and never. Best Bloodshed. All right. As usual, we're starting off with the most impressive deaths and best moments of violence from our saga. And Andy... This is where Barth Saga shines. It really is. You know, I hadn't read this thing before we covered it, and I had no idea just how many showpiece battles 
this thing has. It's uh-huh. fantastic. Yeah. And, and not just battles. There are some random moments of unexpected violence as well. I've got three candidates for best bloodshed, and I believe you have the same. So uh, mm-hmm. would you care to start us off? Sure. Uh, okay. So there are so many to choose from in this saga. It's it's really hard to narrow it down, and I was limited to choosing three. Uh, so, Okay. John, I have a habit of saying this, but my first candidate probably won't win, but it's at least... <laughs> Shh, don't, don't worry when about it. When are you going to learn how to sell the sizzle? It, it's at least an unusual and humorous scene, and I think we have to highlight it in All our right. judgments. So this one involves two men named Anar. So it might get a little confusing, oh. um, and it is a mark of what's wrong with this saga author. Because <laughs> you know he made this episode up, so I don't understand why you need two men with the same name. <laughs> But uh, one of them is the son of Siegmund, Barth's best buddy. And the other one is Einar of Lon, a bit player who won't be around long after he accuses Einar Sigmundersen's mother, Hildegun, of being a sorceress. Now, naturally, she takes offense. And when her son, Einar Sigmundersen, comes home, she tells him what happened and gives him a fancy new cloak. And the implication is pretty clear there. The gift of a new cloak is usually a saga shorthand for go kill that guy. Right. And... It's also quite possible that the cloak is enchanted with an right. invulnerability spell. Because, in fact, Einar of Lawn is entirely correct. <laughs> she is, in fact, a sorceress. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just a nice cloak. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, Einar then grabs his shield and sword, hops onto the back of his trusty steed, and rides after Einar of Lawn and his men at full speed. And he rides so hard that his horse eventually gives out beneath him. But he had caught Einar of Lawn near the steep cliffs of Thufabjorg. Now, the two Einars fought hard against each other for a long time and said in those parts that Einar Sigmundersen then called out to Barth, asking for help against his foe. And it's at that moment that the belt holding up Einar of Lon's pants suddenly broke. And as his pants begin sliding down, Einar gets distracted, clutches at his belt to keep his pants up. And that's when Einar Sigmundersen deals the death blow to Einar of Lon. And that's why you wear skinny jeans when you're going out to kill someone. <laughs> There's a bunch of Vikings running around in, in jogging pants. Absolutely. Just to Absolutely. make sure. Yeah. Drawstring sweats. Yeah. Um, you want to no, make sure it, that's like, painted on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not too often, John, that we see the old pants falling down death blow routine in the sagas. <laughs> and for that reason, I think we have to consider this one. Sure. Uh, nice. Uh, well, my first candidate isn't quite that goofy, but it's, uh, it's got its own charm. Andy, in this saga, we had a couple of after-dinner games. Mm-hmm. And as we learn, trolls like to play rough after the cheese and coffee courses. <laughs> these of course, these are to... some cultured trolls with the cheese and coffee. Oh, look, we'll have none of your hill troll primitivism here. No, These no. are mountain trolls, sir. They know which spoon to use for the soup. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there was a monkey in the middle game with a rolled up bear skin, but that only resulted in a broken nose. I'm more interested in the game at Colbjorn's Cave. The joint throwing contest. Yes, this food fight that breaks out. Eh, tomato, tomato. Or tomato hurl projectile. Definitely. Either way, yes. <laughs> uh, the joint throwing contest comes off like a combination of a food fight, a dodgeball game, and a no-holds-barred cage match. It's a really rough game, but it, it's also a bit of a motif. People mm-hmm. throwing joints of meat or bone at a newcomer to the hall. Yeah, and there's a good example of that in Trolls Saga Krakow when the Beowulf analog named Bolfar Bjarki in that saga catches a joint thrown at him and whips it back at the man who threw it. Sure. And and this is essentially the same, except that it just keeps happening. Mm-hmm. 
So this happens at the dinner at Kulbjorn's cave when Guest's brother Thord has come for what's supposed to be the wedding feast for his marriage to Solrun, and instead they're forced to sit and watch as Kulbjorn's 30-odd ogre guests gorge themselves on human and horse meat. Yeah, we probably didn't say enough about the human eating part of that meal. They're eating human. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we mentioned it, but that's all. Um, so after dinner, Kolbjorn's monstrous guests want to play try to kill the humans with this joint throwing contest, which again is basically dodgeball to the death, or at least to the pain. First, Kolbjorn's friend Glom throws a horse hock at <laughs> Thord, but Guest catches it and wings it back at Glom, knocking his eye out. Next, Alm the ogre pitches a knuckle bone at Thord's younger brother Thorvald, but Thord catches that one and returns fire, wailing the bone into Alm's face so hard that his jaw is broken. The next ogre to try his luck is Skralm, who grabs up a massive shank and hurls it at Guest. And Guest flings it back, and Skralm ca- tries catching it, but the shank breaks both his hands and then hits and breaks his leg as well. That's just... And at wow. that point, amidst the groans of the injured and dying, Kolbjorn calls off the game. Well... I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd want to stop things before someone gets hurt, John. I mean, that just <laughs> sure. <laughs> makes sense. Uh, and then after he calls it off, everyone goes back to drinking, which apparently means Alm's drinking with a straw, I guess. His hands are broken. <laughs> exactly. And someone's got to hold Scrom's cup for him. Um, so as a sidebar here, I meant to say something about this during the episode, but I have to note that the ogres in this scene are named Glaum, Alm, and Scrom. If you've ever wondered why Tolkien gives his dwarves names like Dory, Nori, and Ori... This kind of thing is why. Um, well, it's also straight from the uh, the Edda, right? But I'm saying that this is you know it's a it's a thing that you see frequently in this literature, uh, right? The right. this this the rhyming names. Uh, but for the bloodshed category, this is a treasure trove: uh, massive bones and hunks of meat being pitched back and forth until one side is battered and bloody, mm-hmm. eye gouging, hand shattering, jaw breaking food fight. I think it's pretty good stuff. I agree with you. It's fantastic. Uh, my next candidate uh, is also pretty fantastic, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> it would be it would be it would be a shame, John, if we didn't include the heroic killing of Skruka, the troll mother, oh. killed by none other than Snouty the Wonder Dog. Yes, Snouty, Snouty the Wonder Dog. Now, this one happened after Guest and Thord rescued the fair damsel in distress from Colbjorn's ill-fated wedding party. And realizing that they had no chance to outrun Kolbjorn and his friends, Guest assigned everyone a task, and Snouty, the Wonder Dog, Guest's trusty canine companion, had to take on Skruka, Kolbjorn's vicious mother. Snouty rushed up to the top of the cliffside faster than a speeding arrow, and when Skruka passed under the cliff, Snouty pushed the rocks down on top of her. Now, undaunted, Skruka began heaving rocks up the cliff face at the brave little dog. And that's when Snouty spotted a large boulder not far from the edge. And with all his might, Snouty the Wonder Dog pressed his shoulder into that boulder (laughs) and rolled it right up to the edge. And with one last triumphant push, the boulder went tumbling down the cliff and onto Skruka, breaking her spine. And that, my friends, is how Snouty the Wonder Dog defeated Skruka, the evil troll hag. Snouty, Snouty, Snouty the Wonder Dog. That was just his own theme song. That's right. I I know we have a lot of uh, talented listeners. What I need right now is a picture or a song or both or a cartoon (laughs) or an embroidered uh, tapestry, uh, whatever you want, 
I need to see the what adventures of Snouty the Wonder Dog. Oh, that was, I was just looking for a picture of Snouty the Wonder Dog, but the adventures of Snouty the Wonder Dog. Now that sounds like something <laughs> uh, that I could really get behind. Unfortunately, his uh, his kryptonite is water. It seems. <laughs> well, I mean, he's not a water dog. It's it, that's he's the unbreakable dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you almost made me spit my beer out there, Tom. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, he falls into a pool. Uh, Now, I'm going to stick with that same fight for a minute for my next candidate. Because while Snouty is dropping boulders on Skruka, Guest and his brothers are fighting the troll monsters. Thord starts fighting with Kolbjorn, but after a few minutes struggle, Thord falls to the ground. And as Kolbjorn stands over Thord and prepares a killing blow, Guest suddenly leaps on his back, grabs him by the hair, sticks a knee in Kolbjorn's spine, and yanks backward. Kolbjorn's neck is broken, and he falls to the ground. He actually falls on Thord, and Guest <laughs> then has to roll Kolbjorn's body off his brother. It's not a huge moment, but anytime you see somebody fatally snap a giant's neck, it's at least worth a mention. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that he almost pulls his head clean off is uh, right. pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, but that that is the end of the battle, and Guest has already killed all of Kolbjorn's guests and uh, most of his friends by that point. Absolutely. Uh, first, he fights uh, Glyufagir uh, and kills him by flipping him over and smashing his head on a rock. Then he attacks Gopi and lops off both of Gopi's legs with a single blow. Mm-hmm. The entire fight's pretty impressive. I mean, the fact that he's fighting troll monsters this whole time would be more impressive if about 47% of the people in this saga weren't trolls of one kind or another. Yeah, yeah. Uh, still pretty good, though. Uh, all right. Uh, what's your third candidate? Yeah, I'm on my third one. Okay. Things are getting kind of serious now, uh, but I, I think I can are do they? better. I think I do better than that. How about how about a drowning god, John? How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Would that I count? feel pretty good about it? Would that count as a worthy candidate in our best bloodshed category? Yeah, I think. I so. I mean, you know, it's a pretty lame weakness for a god too. Is <laughs> <laughs> the drowning god? No, it, it's not every day that a bona fide Norse god pops up into the saga scene, only to get berated by a priest and then drowned. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll consider this one. Of course, I am talking about Jostein the Priest's encounter with Raudgrani, the yep. one-eyed man with a blue-spotted cape and a hood who hitched a ride with Guest on his way to the battle with Ragnar. And as soon as Raudgrani appears, we are told that Jostein the Priest, he didn't like him too much. That's because Raudgrani helped the men pass the time by telling them pagan stories and preaching to them about the old gods, even encouraging them to maybe make a sacrifice for good luck. This happened day after day on board the ship, all within earshot of Jostein the priest. And finally, Jostein couldn't take it anymore. He he picked up his large crucifix and bashed Rauthgrenny over the head. The pagan preacher collapsed and fell overboard into the sea. And then the strangest thing happened. His body never came up. And that's <laughs> when the crew realized that Rauthgrenny had been Odin in disguise. Yeah. How do you beat that, John? A I real mean, Norse god bludgeoned with a cross. With a crucifix. I beat it with a cross. Um, <laughs> you beat it with a cross. Yeah, I, I like that the 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 mode of Christianity in this saga is to speak softly and carry a massive heavy crucifix with which to brain your enemies. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you can't it's not join the only them, time we beat see Yostin like beat someone to death with that crucifix either. <laughs> no, it's he, he gets a he gets a, a ghost bull with it later. Right, right. Uh, now, I really like that one, honestly. Like, I mean, how many sagas do you get to see someone beat a Norse god to death with a crucifix? Yeah. Uh, honestly, in, in many sagas, that one would have won. Uh, and I think would have won hands down. Wait a minute. You're saying it's not going to win. 
Well, this saga's got some really impressive bloodshed, and we've saved what I think is the most eye-popping episode for uh-huh. last. Yeah, I saw when, that coming. Yeah. Well, I saw Guest you didn't. It yeah, Guest didn't. Uh, so at the <laughs> climax of the saga, Guest is struggling with the Draugr, uh, Ragnar the Viking, not Ragnar. Right? This is uh, very clearly a, a intellectually distinct property. That's Ragnar right. the Viking in Ragnar's burial mound, and he's completely overmatched. He's on the verge of being killed. Uh, and first he calls out to his father, the Snaffle God. But Barth can't stop Ragnar either. And finally, Guest calls on King Olaf and his Christian powers and promises to convert to Christianity if he is saved from Ragnar's wrath. Olaf appears in a blinding light. Ragnar is weakened and Guest is able to chop his head off. And then, uh, yeah, he does that whole laying the head by the buttocks thing to keep the corpse from rising. It's yep. a pretty good scene. Of yep. course, the whole thing is witnessed by 500 undead oarsmen, which makes it even better. I like that. It's but that's great, not the but, thing, right? Yeah, but obviously that's not the actual candidate that I was talking about. Just warm What up. happens as a result of that moment is that when Guest returns to Norway, he fulfills his vow by accepting baptism in Christianity. And that night, his father appears to him in a dream. And Daddy is not pleased. Mm-mm. It's a poor deed you've done. Renouncing your faith and that of your forefathers, you've allowed yourself to be forced to change your beliefs for lack of character. For doing so, you shall lose both your eyes. And Barth leaps at his son. Guest wakes up, feels a moment of screaming agony, and both of his eyes burst out of his head. (laughs) And he dies later that day. Andy, I ask you, even in a saga with so many good candidates, is there any way to pass this one over. I, I think this has to be our winner. I I mean, as we've gone through this, I have thought mo- almost everything we've talked about is a good candidate to win. Should yes. win. Each one should win. Yes. But the idea of Barth leaping upon his son and gouging oh. his eyes up in the dream, but then in reality, <laughs> in yep. the real Freddy world. Freddy Kruegering his way into his son's dream. Oh, oh, that's true. Dream warriors. Yep. <laughs> oh no in the real world guest wakes up and without anyone touching him he screams and his eyes burst out of his head oh yeah that is some crazy Choop. that is that, that is 80s horror film stuff like absolutely and, and it's know. done by his father yeah oh, yeah yeah I, I don't I, I don't think there's anything that beats that. Uh, even the drowning god, which is interesting, he just disappears. Uh, by the way, John, do we? <laughs> I'm going to get your opinion on this now. Yeah, is Brauth Grani Odin? Well, according to the saga, he must be because the body doesn't resurface. Well, it suggests that the people <laughs> they realize, but it doesn't say that he was. It just I mean, this is an opinion. Right. I mean, one also suspects that they may have put a few of those iron shoes in his pockets before they threw him overboard. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I assume he's wearing he's wearing that cloak, and it says it buttons down towards the feet. Right. So right. maybe he can't swim. It's very heavy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's but also a- he's been beaten to death before that, so I don't really think whether or not he can swim is relevant. <laughs> right. Well, um, so if but here's the interesting thing: if it is not Odin in disguise, then. You'll say the priest has just just slaughtered, murdered an old man. Yes, murdered an old man uh, with one which eye. Which is why I think they may have stuck a couple of iron shoes in his pockets. That <laughs> <laughs> they throw him overboard, wait for the bubbles to stop, and say, "Yeah, yeah that was Odin." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, well, I mean, must have been for the purposes of the text. Yeah, clearly Odin. But yeah, I, I'm no. going to step into the real world here and say maybe, maybe it's just an old man that really liked the old gods <laughs> and 
he shouldn't have got on that boat. <laughs> yeah, no, but we said we said in the when we discussed the saga that Ralph Grani is one of the names of Odin when he yeah. walks in the world. So it's clearly the author is is straightforward about this being Odin's avatar. But yeah, well, he does uh, wear the costume, right? But there's still that little bit of possibility that Jostin has just beaten a man to death for no reason. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but there yes. you go. Yeah, the um, the uh, the gouging out of the eyes, uh, definitely yeah. the winner on that one. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, so there you go. The judges have voted, and the eyes have it. Oh, very clever. Uh, congratulations, guests. At least you have not been mortally wounded in vain. Body, body count. count. As everyone knows by now, the body count section provides us with the tally of all the untimely deaths in the sagas. This means that any murder, slaying, drowning, illness, or surprising death gets counted, while dying from old age or indirect references to deaths in other sagas that aren't organic uh, to this particular saga, well, those get left in the waste bin. Right. So, our last saga, the saga of Hord and the Home Dwellers, was particularly bloody with a body count of 220 and a body count density measurement of 105.7. Uh, which was enough to quite impressive. That was enough to knock the uh, saga of the Greenlanders off its pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very, very impressive. Um, let's see how Bard Saga does in comparison. Well, I think it's going to do pretty well. I think you know it does, uh, yeah, because uh, yep. you and I met before the recording and we hashed out most of our arguments about what should and shouldn't count for the saga Bard, God of Snowfell. And there are a lot of tricks in this one in terms of like, did this person die from old age? Uh, uh, do we count? I mean, there's a whole list of references to the saga of uh, Horde and the Home Dwellers uh, and the yep. uh, various killings in there. And we had to decide whether to count those or not. Um, so there's a hard, some hard decisions were, were made, um, but we hashed it out. It's it's frankly embarrassing how much time we spend hashing out the body count. <laughs> it's it's tragic. That's why we had to given that it should just be math, right? But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy, and this one mm-hmm. wasn't without its controversy. We we did, however, come to a solid conclusion in the end. And for a relatively short saga, Bard saga, it certainly left a lot of bodies on the floor, as we like to say. Our body count this time is an impressive 104. Mm-hmm. But John, it could have been so much more. <laughs> what about the 500 undead oarsmen of Ragnar in his grave mount? Those guys got all kinds of choppy choppy action from guests. Why don't you explain to the people why we're not counting those 500 men? Those are 500 men that should be counted in my opinion. Well, remember we had uh, uh, we enjoyed the idea of guests running up and down the uh, the rows of men sitting in this gigantic ship and just lopping heads yeah. off as he goes, uh, merry merry as a lamb in the spring. <laughs> uh, but and Andy, I have to say, when we were when we got together to discuss the body count, you were so excited. Oh yeah, about this this uh, this windfall this um, oh, it- this. Absolute plethora of corpses. What is one hundred and four plus five hundred, John? Oh, I don't know. That's that's higher. It's math. a lot we'll of. The, it's a lot of. We'll have to get somebody in here to do this. It's the, a lot. Yeah. That's all I'm going to so, say. I'm, I'm. Yeah. And that would smash our record. That absolutely also would by a lot. Record. I'm not uh, good with numbers, but a lot. However, there is an unfortunate um, reality to be dealt with in this saga, which is mm-hmm. uh, those guys don't actually get killed. Yeah, John broke my heart on this one because I did not recall uh, what he's about to tell you. Right. So the, the what happens is Guest runs up and down knocking off their heads. But of course, as the saga indicates correctly, 
To successfully end a Draugr's reign of terror, you have to lay it properly, which involves putting its head between its buttocks after beheading it. Mm-hmm. While Guest is so busy running up and down those rows, he never actually takes the time to lay the heads okay. astride the buttocks. Now, here's a good math problem for you uh, yeah. you more you know, math-oriented folks out there. How long would it take one, a rough estimate, to lay 500 undead corpse heads into the undead buttocks of each wait, now wait, corpse? Now, how long that takes would depend on whether or not it is important that each head be put in between the buttocks of its own body. Yeah, then you got to sort them or whether too. Whether you just need to line up one head with one body. I would assume that it doesn't matter which buttocks you put the head in. If if the if the head comes to life, I agree. It's, it's going to, especially if it's in the wrong buttocks, it's going to be confused no matter what. So it's going to go back <laughs> to the <laughs> yes. So right. roughly, how long um, would that take? Um, it's right. not well. It, it's quite a while. There's your, there you go. There's your uh, there's your there's your SAT problem for tonight. <laughs> um, but uh, the fact is, he doesn't do that, and the text is quite explicit about this. That he does place Ragnar's head, uh, and so Ragnar does not rise again. Yes. But when he does that, the 500 dead men who are beheaded but are still walking around then return to their places in the ship and sit down. And that they are still active and moving. That really bugged at me. that point because I assumed that when you kill, I assumed that Ragnar was the master of these undead oarsmen, yeah. and therefore when he falls, so too they fall. Right. They See, the problem here is that you're thinking to sit down in their assigned spots, no less. That's impressive. Yeah. No. This is not. Um, this is not Dracula. Right. It's not. <laughs> it's not a situation where you kill the master vampire and all of his minions are recovered. Uh, this is more like um, the purple Smurfs, the Ganap Smurfs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> each individual is exactly infected like in their own right yes. uh, and must be individually uh, solved. And so, yeah, these 500 men um, have to be individually destroyed if you want to stop them from rising. Which they don't take the time to do. Right. And, of course, he doesn't bother to do that because he's already robbing the grave. There's really no reason to come back here. Uh, So, you know, why run around in the dark? Remember, his candle is already burned out by this point. It's got to get out. Why run around in the dark um, risking life and limb against 500 undead men whose leader you've just killed. But here's another good question. So these undead men were presumably put into the, the – they were sacrificed along with Ragnar when he was buried, right? Right. right. Um, they are looking to Ragnar for leadership. Now what you have in that burial mound is a very dead twice over Ragnar. Right. But 500 oarsmen who are headless but still alive – Undead in their undead capacity. <laughs> what are they doing well, with their time now? Presumably, they're going to spend the first couple of days sorting out <laughs> whose head is whose. I'm over here. Uh, as we said, there's going to be sort of this god awful scrum as they all try to sort of collect oh, yeah. their own You're head. Standing on my uh, hair. Right. And you know, there are going to be two guys whose necks look exactly the same size and get to an argument as to whose head is whose. Uh, that'll keep them busy for a while. Yeah. After that, I mean, you know, they've got their own ship. Well, it's um, underground. That's not great. Yeah, but this is, I mean, the entire point is that they can go into sort of a spirit realm of, of sailing their ship. And that's the entire that's point. That's true, but their the captain is down. dead. Does one of the headless gentlemen step up I and mean, take over? you know, next man up is my opinion. Um, you know, this is, you know, you, you pick uh, whoever was manning the rudder is now the captain. Yeah. You move somebody else to the rudder and off you There's go. There's a whole sequel in here somewhere. 
I think. <laughs> right. Right. About the 500 dead men on the ship. Yeah. I wonder if Johnny Depp's uh, available. Yeah. Right. I think uh, he is. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, we uh, didn't. Yes. The, the point is we didn't get to count the 500 undead oarsmen, which is tragic. Right. And, and as a result, we have a body count of 104, which is still quite respectable for a fairly it short is, saga. It is. And it, speaking of things we don't formally count uh we we also don't formally count the deaths of animals in our official body count but we typically acknowledge them here as well and this saga saw the untimely demise of a group of watchdogs at olaf trigvison's place the right. slaying of a rambunctious ghost bull by yostein the priest uh, smashing it over the head with his crucifix uh-huh. and then the extremely unnecessary and horrific and tragic drowning of snouty the wonder dog in the sinking land episode at the end of the ragnar mound scene Snouty, snouty, snouty the wonder dog. Oh, that's, that's, that's not nice. Oh, what's the sad, sad saxophone? Sad saxophone sound. Something like that. <laughs> what, 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 what do we need there? <laughs> oh. Anyway, truly tragic stuff, obviously. Uh, so anyway, uh, with a body count of 104 and a handful of animals, we are left with only one lingering question, John, and that is, what is the body count density measurement of Barth Saga, and does it have enough to make it into the top three? And now that I realize that's two questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, my guess is that this is going to hit at either number three or four. Mm. Uh, that is my guess, because I don't think it's going to be quite enough to... Uh, it's not obviously not going to be enough to pass Horth Saga. No. It's going to be quite enough for second place. I'm guessing third or fourth. Okay. Well, you remember that Bard Saga is a slim 1.46 Hrofenkels, and that yep. is always a good sign if you're looking for a high BCDM, but by no means a guarantee. Remember, we had the Saga of Alehood, barely a saga, 0.3 something. I forget. It's not much. Um, it didn't contain any deaths at all. Alehood, what were you thinking? But if you're looking for trees, trees died by the thousands. What the hell are you talking about at this point? (laughs) Never mind all that. Why are you even bringing Alehood into this? But never mind all that. Uh, (laughs) None of that is a concern for Barth Saga, which has a very strong body count of 104 and a slim 1.46 Trophenkels. So Barth Saga comes in with a very respectable body count density of 71.23. Less, Very nice. less than a point above the saga of Greenlanders, John. Oh, it did make less second place. Less than a point. Very good. So, for the second saga in a row, we've got a shift in the top three. Horth Saga is number one with a BCDM of 105.7. Barth is number two with a 71.23. And the once unbeatable saga of Greenlanders is now in third place with a measly score of 70.42. It's getting. It's going to get real hard to crack this top three pretty soon. It is now. I have to note the Greenlanders party is contesting and demanding a recount, but we're going to pretend we can't hear them. <laughs> Let's move on to our next category. <laughs> nicknames. Our nickname section looks into the stories and varied interpretations behind the fun nicknames that we encounter in each saga. It's a time for John to flex his linguistic muscles and to share a, a bunch of stuff that, frankly. He makes up for the sake of trying to impress you all. <laughs> but sometimes, yes, sometimes, he has shown some signs of real brilliance. <clears throat> is this one of those times, John? I'm just as eager to find out as you dear listeners. So please, John, enlighten us with your nickname wisdom. Yeah. 
uh, we can always hope that the broken clock is right at, at uh, certain times of day. Um, well, I think we've got something special for them. I think up. we do. I happen to, I happen uh, to know a little bit. Andy, uh, for once, your warmth and enthusiasm sounded almost sincere, so I appreciate that. That's what I shoot for. Almost sincerity. That's right. Uh, our nicknames this time, uh, Andy, are going to come from an extensive but not especially varied bunch of people. Um, we obviously have a number of great names like King Dumb that we've already talked about. And it's the usual assortment of standard names. We have Snar the Old, Bar the Giant, Robin the Poet, Finboy the Learned, Thorkel Black, and so on. Right? These very standard ones. We have two the Strongs, and we have three men, Hrolf, Gear, and Asbjorn, all nicknamed the Wealthy. So this saga is well stocked with doubloons. Uh, but we can skip over all those. Uh, there's another curious thing about this saga, which is the surprising number of people whose names we've already covered in other sagas. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this saga as being somewhat disjointed from other family sagas, but looking at the nicknames forced me to reconsider that a little bit. Uh, nicknames like uh, Kettle Hang, Althun Shaft, Harold Fairhair, Thorbjorg Shipbreast, Goatbjorn, Vermin Fringe, Thorod Halfpoem, and Arnor Harrynose do actually set this saga into a pretty solid narrative context. Uh, the problem is that they're all just names, right? They're mentioned, but they don't play a part in the saga beyond that mention. It really only proves that our author is as big a fan of the sagas as we are. John, we got a, a message just recently about Thorbjorg Shipbreasts. Uh, we had a listener who had just listened to the Eric the Red saga Excellent. and wondered if we'd ever be graced with a, a visit from Thorbjorg Shipbreast in the actual sagas. And I had to say, sadly, no, <laughs> and that she's better left to your imagination. Right. And Although she will occasionally, again, right, like a ship in the night, will yes. pass by, as she does in this saga. Now, Andy, we also have one place name that we can't ignore. Now, usually, I don't bother with place names. Uh, that's really more oh, your yeah. area of interest than mine. But I couldn't let Dritvik float by without a mention. Oh, thank you. Uh, yes. Dritvik translate, uh, translates as Turd's Bay or Shit Inlet. Right. This is the place where a bunch of bar the shipmates drop their trousers and then drop about three decks worth of deuces offshore before wading onto shore in Iceland. But they've sadly misjudged the Browns' chances at reaching the Super Bowl. The tides are coming in, Andy. Uh, I, get and I get that. When they jump off the poop deck, they're forced to wade ashore like little Miss Muffet off of her tuffet, treading their turds in bay. <laughs> But that's not a nickname, it's, Andy. <laughs> oh, but it's such a great story. <laughs> I, I just love the idea of these settlers. Before they even really establish themselves, I know they have defiled the land. <laughs> I know. It all it all turns to crap right away. <laughs> right. You're hoping it's going to wash away, and there you oh, are Lordy. wading through your own dookie. Right. But, Andy, that's not a – and our author does seem to su suggest this is an inauspicious beginning to the group settlement in Iceland. But – yeah, uh, I would say that's not a cognomen. That's more of a clogged omen. Uh, and sadly, <laughs> this name falls into the if it's brown, flush it down category. Uh, we'll have to look elsewhere for candidates for our actual prize. Oh, so that's too bad. Let's uh, let's see what kind of cream has floated to the top in this saga. Oh, could you please just stop? <laughs> uh, our candidates, Barth the Snafflesauce. Uh, we talked about mm -hmm. this name a fair amount, so I don't need to go into too many details here. As we and Will Beale said, the use of Os is probably a blurring of the lines between land spirits, pagan figures like household gods or fulgia, and the actual Asir. Uh, Bard's name places him in this gray area where Christian inflected storytelling tries to make the pagan relationship to nature accessible for a Christian culture, which is nostalgic about its pre-Christian past. That's a tall order for one nickname. 
Uh, and it's a lot sure to is. unpack, which is why we kept returning to the question of what Barth is exactly. And fortunately, we had Will to help us define it. Absolutely. Uh, and I think our conclusion was that he's essentially a pagan version of a saint, right? a mm-hmm. figure who occupies a place between the divine and the human. Uh, I think it's about as close as we can get for now. And it's a pretty fair interpretation of the name Snafosas. So yeah, that works for me. Let's turn to Barth's friend, uh, Orm Forestnose, Skogarnefa. I wanted this to be an amazing nickname, and I'm, I'm giving it a place in our contest on the basis of the potential. You'd think I've a, got a great visual in my head. I mean, sure. You'd think a name like Forest Nose would have some fantastic referent, like a man with big tufts of hair coming out of his nostrils or something. Exactly. Uh, but it turns out the most likely explanation is that Orm is from a region called Skogar, or Woodland, which is a region in Iceland just south of the volcano Eyjafjallajökull, which some listeners might remember as the volcano that blew its top in 2010 and disrupted air travel all over Europe. Um, I remember. Orm's name is still the somewhat charming The Nose of Skogar, uh, which I hope is how people refer to him all the time. But unfortunately, that beautiful visual of his forest nose probably doesn't actually work. That's Uh, disappointing, and now he won't win. Sorry. Uh, Next, we have Kala Skincap. Skinhoofa. We actually covered this nickname with a man named Thordrim Skincap in Droplagosona Saga. Uh, this might be understood to refer to a hairless head or to somebody wearing an animal skin hood. But when we covered Thorgrim, I argued on the strength of Zwega's dictionary that the name can also mean garments, hose, or cap made of skin. Not just cap, although that's the most common translation. So my speculation was based on an episode in Thorgrim's life when his clothes were thrown into a cesspit so that Thorgrim had to run to his neighbor's house covered only in a bedsheet. And so I proposed the name Thorgrim Birthday Suit as an alternate translation. Yes. Uh, that was enough of an argument that Thorgrim, you may not remember this, actually won best nickname for Droplagosona Saga. I do remember that. That was an exciting day in my life. Mm-hmm. How could I forget? Now, we don't learn enough about Kola to say what her name means. So I'm going to accept the skin cap or animal skin garments translation. On the other hand, our next candidate is Thorir Leatherneck. Leatherhals, yes. uh, which is much more clearly translatable since hals does mean neck. There's a term used in late Anglo-Saxon law, halsfang, which may have been a kind of fine paid to get out of legal trouble. Um, but it refers apparently to either saving Ooh. your neck or to something hung around your neck, like a responsibility. Uh, unlike skin cap, this name actually does get explained in the saga itself. And the explanation isn't that he works in the sun or that he's a sailor, which would seem to be the obvious choices. Thorir, we're told, cuts a hole in an animal hide and uses it as a protective garment. So Leatherneck, in fact, means something like meat poncho and is therefore awesome. That's not not too bad. Hey, while you were talking, I did remember something that's kind of interesting. Yes. Orm Forest knows. Do you know who he is? Not offhand. He is Gunnar of Hlitherendi's brother. Is that right? He is indeed. He is. Look you know what? Up. He's listed as Orm Hamunderson, and I didn't make the connection. Yes. Yes. I almost forgot. I've been saving that ah, this whole time. The whole right. saga. He's, he's Orm Hamunderson, and I forgot that connection. Yes. Well done. Gunnar's brother. Well caught. Look uh, at me. Contributing to old nickname you section. You sure are. And you're not done yet. Um, now, Andy, I have a, a third skin name in a row. Uh, this yeah. is Thorkel Skinswathed. It's a real skinny uh, saga. That's, hmm? It's a bit skinny. Uh, 
Wrapping up our trilogy of skin-based nicknames, uh, we have another previous best nickname winner. Thorkel Skinswathed won for Viglin Saga. We talked about him during the saga summary, but I don't remember whether we ever went into the origin of his name. I don't think so. Uh, the actual meaning of the name is skin-swathed or skin-swaddled, and that gives us a hint to the significance of it. It seems that Thorkel was raised in one of the far northern areas, even farther north than Dumshof. In the rustic surroundings of his birthplace, it was hard to find homespun cloth. And so as a baby, Thorkel was swaddled in the relatively abundant skins of the seals hunted in the region. So, like our old friend Thorkel Scratcher, this Thorkel carries a nickname apparently from birth, which is interesting to me, uh, just because I'm really interested in nicknames and why they happen. But more importantly, we've never definitively stated whether a person can name best nickname for two different sagas. So that'll be something for us to talk about in a few minutes, since we have a a former winner among the contenders here. Bork Bluetooth Beard, Andy. Of course, I had to include a a beard nickname, and this one is especially choice. I like this one a lot. Uh, I could have gone with Rolf Redbeard or Onan Broadbeard, but really, a gift like Bluetooth Beard comes along all too rarely. Uh, there's not as much to say about the nickname as I would like. It's it's one of a handful of nicknames that use the Bluetooth or Darktooth moniker. Uh, and it's been suggested that the reference may be to rotten teeth rather than to merely discolored teeth, which is, I mean, it's possible, but that's not especially illuminating. Uh, but as for why Bork's name connects his Bluetooth to his beard... We can only speculate, and of course, I'm happy to do so. My guess, and it is a guess, is that the reference is to a prominently visible tooth, a jutting tooth, or one that's visible through Bork's beard due to either a deformation or a facial injury. Right? Um, we can think about even something like a cleft palate, right? uh, exposing some teeth in the beard. But if you ask me to substantiate that idea, Andy, I would respond by moving on to the next candidate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really fine idea. You, I, I do believe I introduced this section by saying you'd like to make things up. And I think that was a great example um, to prove my point. I, th- I think you'll find that I am uh, speculating on the basis of incomplete evidence, uh, which is which is not the same thing as making things up out of whole cloth. Sure, I've got like sure. pieces of cloth. Gotcha. Uh, hey, look at this next guy <laughs> to change the subject. <laughs> it's Thorberg Cornmouth. Well, there you go. Cornemula. There's some great nicknames in the saga. Uh, And this one frustrated the hell out of me because I went through most of my sources and got nowhere. Most dictionaries don't include the word at all. Uh, Zuega's dictionary does that thing I hate where it lists the word and defines it as a nickname based on the evidence of this saga. So what we have to do in a situation like this is break the word down. Korna means corn in the European sense of an indeterminate grain, right? Not obviously not a reference to New World corn. Mulli, which in our translation we get as mouth, is more usually translated as muzzle, rostrum or snout uh, so an animal's mouth in other words although i gather that the word could be used colloquially for humans as well uh, but i don't think we should lose sight of the animalistic possibility either uh, it's possible thorberg had a really distinctive mouth um, or that the grains refer to an unusual set of teeth uh, but the point is i like this name but i can't prove it means anything much at all uh, <laughs> and so we move on to corn snoot's wife Good one. Alof Shipshield. Aletha Skjelder. Uh, Alof is almost as frustrating as her husband. Uh, once again, the only reference to the name in the dictionaries are to this saga. So we've got a husband and wife team who essentially have nicknames that only exist for themselves. Her name does mean Shipshield, but the ship in question, uh, the Atlithi, is a specific kind of fast sailing ship. 
So she's not just the shield of any old tugboat. She's like a Ferrari shield. Okay. So good for her. We have on Bowbender in this saga, or mentioned in the saga. He does not actually appear. Now, On is a famous man, and it's nice of him to stop by and lend this saga a little tone. Yeah, we've talked about him before. Yeah, uh, I think we've mentioned it. Yeah, we have mentioned it before. Well, the story of how he gets the nickname of walking through the doorway yes. with the bow across <laughs> his chest kind of horizontally, yes. <laughs> and just kind of forcing his way through. Um, that's pretty good stuff. Yep. Now, Andy, our last contestant, uh, and I think you're going to like this one, Guthrin Dearth Widow. Oh, Dearth Widow. Cannot yes. Yeah. Uh, now, this nickname, uh, this is a great nickname, but it is completely undiscussed in the sources. Uh, Guthrin is only mentioned briefly in the saga. She and her son are guests at the Yule party at Hitterdal, thrown by Hit, the troll woman. This is the party where guest breaks Colbjorn's nose during a game of keep away with a rolled up bearskin. Guthrin is just one of the guests. But her name intrigued me, and I really wanted to know where it was coming from. And this ended up being a joint project. So, uh, Andy, you uh, you tagged in on this. So if you want to add anything here as I'm explaining it, feel free to jump in. I, I just uh, enjoyed our little journey together through the uh, the interwebs and our dictionaries and our books. That's, and, I, uh, I really wish this is the, that's the kind of moment when I really wish we were recording ourselves to put up somewhere, because oh, if people could see be, like the hour that we spent, like sleuthing this out. It um, was legitimately about an hour. It was about and, um, an hour. I, I questioned, an hour well I questioned, spent, by the way. I questioned our path several times, but <laughs> by the end, when we finally figured it all out, I was I was really pumped. Mm-hmm. Now, what we learned is that Ekya does indeed refer to a widow, and Andy, you track down Knapper or Knapper as scant, uh, which is also found in Old High German. Yeah. So on the merits of that, we could read this as shortage widow or scanty widow or something like that. Well, and we, we started with Old High German just because that's what we found quickly. Right. But we also quickly realized that the K, the K you know, can be an H. And right. that, in fact, right. does mean scant. Yeah, it appears in Old Norse and in Old High German. Yes. Exactly. Um, you don't need the, the, German, the German for it. You can work with the Old Icelandic. Right, right. Uh, although I, the reason I mentioned Old High German is that's, that's also uh, the way that it gets into English as uh, the nap in knapsack as opposed to the knob, which is what we get from the Old Norse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, Unfortunately, no source has ever even tried to justify that translation of scanty of widow dearth. or dearth yeah, widow. Yeah, dearth widow or scant widow. Yeah, right. it doesn't – you, what you came to me with this evening before we started recording really was, uh, hey, here's this dearth widow. Um, I have no justification or explanation for why she exists. And so we started just mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. Right. Andy and I did a dive into the materials and uh, yeah. here's what we found. In Lannama book, in the Book of Settlements, we find a man named Thorgils Knappi, uh, who took land near Sandfell and named it Knappadal. Uh, Knapper, as a nickname, means knob or button. Right? We actually met a guy named Thord Knapp in Greta Saga. Uh, and we, we decided his name meant Thord the Knob. Now, we looked this up, and this spot, uh, Knappadaler, is on Snaffelsnest Peninsula. It's a ways mm-hmm. inland from the actual uh, mountain. So this is more than likely the place being associated with this woman. And this is where we get into the deep weeds. Uh, We read an Icelandic collection of antiquities from 1886. And one of the book's contributors writes in there, There is the place where Thorgils Knappit took over uh, Knappdaler. In later days, after Thorgils died, it was named after his widow and called Knappekjastadr, instead of the Mm -hmm. former name of Knappestadr. In other words, it becomes known as Nob's Widow's Place 
rather than Nob's place. Yeah. And sure enough, Andy worked his Google map skills, and the place being described here, Knapekustadr in Hnapadar, is on one end of a small lake. And that lake's called Odastadvaden, and on the other end of that lake, just over a hill in the next valley, is Hitterdal, where Hit Patrol Woman holds her Yule party. Pretty convenient. So just a hop, skip, and a jump. Isn't that great? So it turns out that this nickname doesn't mean Guthrum Dearth Widow. Instead, it's an onomastic. It's a name linking her to a location and explaining that location's name. It associates her with the settlement of Napadalar, and it's probably making a claim for Guthrun as the widow of Thorgil's Knappi. The woman yes, which for is whom, not what's that? Which is really, really fascinating because yeah. that name is not substantiated in any other source. Exactly. There's Thorgils no, is never mentioned as having a wife named Gudrun. He doesn't they don't mention his wife at all. Correct. And here we have a saga that seems to suggest that uh, her name was Gudrun. Uh, but of course, that's a way of explaining the fact that the farm at some point becomes known as Nob's Widow's Farm rather than Nob's Farm. Exactly. So you're seeing one of those explanations where a saga attempts to explain a local name. Uh, And so what we end up with is this woman being invented, probably, as the woman for whom a settlement era farm of Knapikestadr was named. That's right. And uh, further complicating it, in the scene with Hit's party, we have Gudrun showing up with her son, Kalf. But if you Mm. read the Book of Settlements, um, Thorgil's Nob never had any children named uh, Kalf. Right. His sons are, are listed. Um, right, mm-hmm. They include uh, Ingemund and or Ingald rather, and I forget the other one's name. But yeah, but but the, the point is that th- that that seems to suggest that what mm-hmm. we have here is an invention rather right. than historical accuracy. Absolutely, uh, but it is a fascinating onomastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Andy, here's the yes. question: Can we do we even want to separate our current fascination with Guthrin Nob's widow, um, or do we just want to give her the award? But is, or is I don't want to give her the award. Else? There are so many good nicknames in this one. We made her nickname interesting. Her nickname yeah. in and of itself is not interesting. <laughs> so I don't see why she should win. I mean, just when, you're, when you got people lined up with, with names like Ship Shield and Forest Nose and Skin Swathed and Corn Mouth and Bluetooth Beard, this is a, this is a tough one. Yeah. Well, here's what I'm thinking. You know, I, I really like Thorkel Skin Swathed just because mm-hmm. I think the nickname is great. Mm-hmm. Um. But I want to give it to Orm Forest Nose, not only because he's really Gunnar Flitherendi's brother, not not because he uh, fights on Long Serpent in Heimskringla, <laughs> but because Forest Nose is such a brilliant nickname. And I'm gonna I'm gonna reject your explanation for it and just imagine <laughs> him with a big hairy that's, nose. That's okay. And you say that I make things up. Your justification for that is that you think it's cooler if that's his name. Yeah, I mean. I don't. I don't have any other justification for it. I, I just think that's that sounds good. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. And I'm I'm within my rights. Um, you're so you're gonna fight me on the idea of Thorberg Cornmouth or Elf Shipshield. No, um, no. I mean, I really like Forest Nose. I think it's a fantastic nickname. <sighs> oh, I'm not sure I can agree with you on this one. Do you really want Cornmouth, huh? I mean, I think Cornmouth or Shipshield. Either one of them is good. Ship shield's not that interesting, dude. Come on. You don't think? No. Uh, what about Bluetooth beard? I do like that one very much. I didn't like <laughs> your explanation a, for would it. Would that be a but consolation? I like the name. Could, we, could we compromise on Bluetooth beard? If you give me a reason why Forest Nose shouldn't win, I will consider this. 
Um, the name isn't actually very cool and just refers to a guy with a big nose from Skogar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, when you put it that way, that isn't terribly interesting. Um, okay, Bluetooth Beard. We haven't given a, a beard nickname a win in a while. And this is going to be one of the better ones we're ever going to see. Exactly. Bluetooth Beard. All right. I can live with All that right. one. Okay. Bork a Bluetooth compromise. Beard, you compromise winner. Winner by committee. <laughs> He's just going to slump up to the podium. He didn't really win. <laughs> well, he'll always be overshadowed by Guthrin Nobudo anyway. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. So this is our chance to pay tribute to the witty asides, the sparkling dialogue, the clever bonnement, and the sharp-tongued poetry of the saga maker's art. Mm. And Andy, I'm afraid Barth Saga was stuck in traffic when all those were being handed out. Yeah. It's not hiding its light under a bushel because its light is already more than dim enough on its own. This is not a great category for the saga. <laughs> no. Uh, there's a reason why we ended up talking mostly about Dungeons and Dragons and Troll Boats and Sir Gowan for three episodes. But we persevere, we persevere. Uh, and after <laughs> scraping our way through the saga, we did manage to come up with a few moments to consider. Well, three. We came up with three. And uh, I'm going to be very honest here. We are stretching it with these three. Well, I mean, let's just, I mean, I guess let's let, let's let us be the judge of that. Uh, what do we got? No, this category really stinks. Uh, <laughs> let's keep it short. When it comes to witticisms, this one is about as dry as the Atacama. The fact that you forced me to come up with something at all. John, that's a that's a true injustice, Look, if it's, you ask me. It's not me. It's precedent that forces this upon us. <laughs> we have our categories, sir. Well, under duress, I was forced to come up with two candidates, whereas <laughs> you only had to come up with one. That's not fair. Mwahaha. <laughs> the, the, the first one um, is actually one that we mentioned during the summary episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, I, we must have been tired because we thought it was funnier than it really is. It, it's an almost clever pun if the author hadn't already beat us over the head with it. Uh-huh. A, But here you go. In chapter 15, when Thord and his brother Thorvald are sitting in Kolbjorn's cave awaiting the start of the wedding party, a strange man appears at the cave mouth. They ask him his name, and he replies that he is a guest at the wedding. Of course, this guest is none other than Guest, the son of Bard. (laughs) You get it? It's a clever play on words there. (laughs) But it is also... Kind of disappointing because it's just reported speech. Guest doesn't even get to say it himself right, right. in the saga. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't think that should win, but uh, I don't know what else we've got. Right. No, I I mean, I do appreciate a good name pun, but that's not really a good name pun. It's just a name pun. Uh, all right. Uh, my first candidate, excuse me, my only candidate is an example <laughs> of deadpan understatement, which is a type of humor where the sagas usually shine. I need to take us back to the moment at the start of our second episode when Helga Barth's daughter returns with Guest a dozen years after taking him as a foster son. Guest's mother, Thordis, asks Helga, who are you? (laughs) Which, as we said at the time, is really a question she should have asked before letting Helga wander off with her baby for over a decade. But, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, Andy. She's asking now. That's what matters. And Helga says... I am Helga, the daughter of Barth the Snaffelsass, but I have traveled widely with Guest, for my home is not in one place. I wish to tell you also that I am the sister of Guest, and that Barth is the father of us both. And after a brief pause, Thordis replies, 
Well, that is unlikely. Which I think we can agree is a reasonable response to that kind of soap opera plot twist. Yeah. Again, though, not a huge belly laugh of a moment. Yeah. Mildly amusing, but not really a witticism At either. Best. So, I, you know, again, it's that, it's that understatement that the saga is usually used to great effect. Yeah. So uh, what have you got that can beat it? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I I had to search for something just so we could flesh this category out because <laughs> to be honest, listeners, I wanted to, to skip this category this time around, but John said we we're not allowed. So blame him Them's for the this. rules. <laughs> so I did find one other candidate, uh, but it, it's not even worth considering. I'm, I'm trying to be honest here, man. It's, You're just, it's keep just beating a, that drum, aren't you? I Look, want when we, once we know. did body count for um, the saga of Alehood in which no one died, uh, <laughs> I think we established that we have to hit all our categories no matter what. <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting observation, though, for body count that mm-hmm. there wasn't any. That's noteworthy. Uh, the fact that there are no notable witticisms in this is not terribly noteworthy. <laughs> it's not notable. So is that well, it? No, you don't witty. have another candidate? I do. Is your way of telling me you didn't finish your homework? I did pick one. Okay, here it is. Um, it's a bragging poem by Thorir of Oxnakelda after he kills Kola of Torfa by breaking her back. Thorir incorporates some back imagery into the poem, but not in a special way. But here it is. He says, A troll was Kola of Torfa from Pnaus. Hardly on the loose now. She walked stooping, as I recall, on her way east over Botnar. I intended a backbreaker for the brainless brute this day. The brazen troll lost her luck when I snapped her spine. But it's it's barely even clever poetry or back imagery <laughs> woven in cleverly. You know, it's a yeah. it, he literally reports exactly what he saw and what he did. So color me not impressed. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think we can eliminate that one. Um, well, see, the, then why did I even? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you have to put it out there, Andy. Um, if it's the best you could do, I mean, you know, it's a, <laughs> I had very little to work with. Um, I would say the only time I even mildly chuckled reading this saga was when Thordis says that is unlikely, but I agree. I think that's mainly funny because it's funny to me, not because right. it's actually funny in the saga. Um, it's a ridiculous thing for her to, to say at that moment, but yeah. that's all it is. Which the only suggests- actual joke in this saga is the yeah. guest pun. The guest puns. There's it's, many of them. Yes. Uh, and it's not a great joke, but it's the only one he's got, damn it. <laughs> it's, it's just, he got on that horse and he rode it all the way to the end. That's right. Uh, and I think so. I think by default, he's going to earn himself a best witticism. All right. Well, guests, guest puns. Uh, those are the winners. Um, congratulations, I guess. I guess. Mm. <laughs> You know what? The, the prize is no less shiny. Outlawry. In our Outlawry section, we highlight the saga's villains, antagonists, and generally unlikable characters. Mm-hmm. We summon them to the saga thing and judge their actions, determining once and for all who should be cast off as an outlaw for the terrible deeds they've done. Now, John, this saga is full of trolls, ogres, and giants, which are admittedly all blended into the same basic thing here, but that's not important. <laughs> What is important is that these figures of otherness in the sagas often get up to no good. Mm -hmm. They make perfect candidates for outlawry. There's only one problem here, John. Yeah. In a saga that is teeming with monstrous figures who roam the countryside and disrupt the peace of the Icelandic people, 
the ogres of this saga aren't really so terrible when it comes down to it. No, they're, they're fairly law-abiding monsters when you buy them. Where are the bad guys in this saga? That's my question for you. I mean, they're there. I mean, there's not many of them, but it's interesting. There we is only need one, one good one. I, I got a really good one for you. All right. Kolbjorn. Yeah. <laughs> An ogre a with a grudge who hatches an elaborate revenge plot against Guest after being tripped at a Yule feast. And while Kolbjorn did get his nose broken and his face more than somewhat disfigured by the fall, yep. his attempt to avenge the slight is a bit extreme in my opinion. <laughs> when he's forbidden to take out his hurt feelings on Guest himself, Kolbjorn settles on Guest's half-brothers, Thord and Thorvald. And in order to get them, he steals their father's flock of sheep, lures them into the valley, and then tempts Thord with the promise of a marriage to a beautiful woman named Solbrun, who he claims is his daughter. Mm-hmm. But of course she's not. Kolbjorn has abducted this fair maiden and brought her to Iceland as his sex slave. Right. And she's being used here as bait to capture Thord and Thorvald. And like willing victims, they rush right into the trap at the mm-hmm. wedding feast, where Kolbjorn intends to, of course, kill both the brothers. And sure. Without guests' help, they likely wouldn't have survived. Mm-hmm. So among Kolbjorn's crimes are livestock theft, the abduction of a young woman, and conspiracy to commit murder. We've outlawed characters for far less than that. I think That's he's fair. a good candidate for outlawry here. I also am going to add a crime that you neglected to mention, um, which is that the wedding feast actually consists of human corpses. Oh. So we've also got <laughs> cannibalism right. and mass murder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is eating people. That's not good. Uh, it's not great. It's not great. Um, and it's. I think it's, it's – honestly, it's very poor form to serve people when you have actual two people. people. Yes, it's <laughs> – at your, at your wedding feast. Um, but it's nobody they knew. True. Um, it's that's going to take some beating, Andy. Uh, but I got a couple of options for you. Okay. Uh, first, I want to at least call Sval and Thufa to the stand. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. These are the trolls from the beginning of the saga, or nearly the beginning. Uh, Sval and Thufa were a couple from Norway who joined Barth on his emigration to Iceland. When they arrive, they almost immediately abandon the others and hide in the mountains. During that time. They both become trolls. Now, that's hardly a crime in this saga because pretty much everybody turns troll at some point. Mm-hmm. But these two then begin a campaign of harassment against the other new arrivals. Now, we said earlier, most of the ogres are fairly law-abiding. These two are the exception. They begin to threaten the entire settlement of the region. Much mischief was caused by them, the author tells us. But no one dared to do anything about it because of their trollish powers. Now, mischief sounds like they're getting up to wacky hijinks. Uh, but they are also getting up to things like whale theft. Sval trespasses onto Barth's land to steal a whale carcass and then tries to kill Barth when he's caught. Yeah. Barth manages to kill him, but the next night he has to fight and kill Thufa when she tries the same thing. I'm not saying they're master criminals, but they are whale-stealing, trespassing, settler-harassing, attempted attempted killer trolls. They're They're not nice. No, definitely not. You know, one of the things that's interesting about those characters in particular, or just kind of generally the trolls, they they kind of inhabit the the position of the outlaw, right? Think about what the outlaws usually get in trouble for once Mm -hmm. they've been outlawed, right? They live in the hills, they live in caves, and then they come out because they need to get food. And that's exactly what Sval and Thufa, once they've become trolls, uh, once they've left society, they're getting in trouble by coming back into society to try to access food, resources right. that they need to survive. 
Right, that sort of that sort of uh, uh, peripheral existence, right? That that liminal existence where you're sort of barely surviving, and you almost are forced into a parasitic relationship with the with civilized communities. Yeah, yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah. But I mean, their crimes don't compare to what Colbjorn. I don't think they do, but I mean, you know, I feel like it's it's worth at least putting it on the docket. And I don't think the other option is really much better. But we have to at least address the bar issue. Mm, yeah. He does uh, do some naughty things. He does a couple of things. There's at least valid reason to consider him. Um, and I'm not talking about the popping his son's eyes out thing, because that was a dream, right? No one can prove he was even there. Right. <laughs> uh, which, that's not great, but I'm, I'm referring to the murder of his two nephews. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty harsh scene. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, it seemed relevant. Uh, so this is another event from early in the saga, when Helga is inadvertently set adrift on an ice floe by her cousins, Solvi and Redcloak, the sons of Thorkel Boundleg. She disappears into the ocean, and Barth, believing that his favorite child is dead, seizes his two nephews, drags them up the mountain, and throws them down two ravines, killing them both. Now, that's not great. I mean, that is the kind of thing we've outlawed people for. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. child murder, not a yeah. good look. I mean, we did outlaw Thorvald Mothskeg in Finboya Saga for this, this very crime. Right? Thorvald also killed two young men. Uh, Finboy has two young sons. We decided that was worthy of outlawry. We also outlawed Skotlagrim Kveldofsson in Ale Saga, in part because he murdered a tween named Thord Granison. I can't believe that of all the characters in Ale Saga, I know, I know, I I had to look back at that. I was like, did we really do that? The problem was, remember, the problem we ran into is that most of the people that Ale fights aren't actually Icelanders. Exactly. And we're always bound by that problem of Icelandic law. Uh, so this is a little bit different. Uh, now, Thorvald killed Finboya's sons for making fun of him. It was pretty despicable. Right? He just murders these two little boys. And uh, Skallagrim was in a rage, and he had no real reason to be. He just lost control of his temper while wrestling with his son Ale and Thord. Uh, this is very different. Barth has just lost his daughter because of these boys. Right? Yeah. They are responsible for her disappearance, for her loss. What he believes to be her death. Um uh, he believes that she died alone and afraid in the ocean. He's mad with grief when he kills them. And within the boundaries of saga narrative, that's entirely understandable. I mean, hell, even in modern law, most countries recognize some version of temporary insanity as a defense. Mm-hmm. And if the loss of your child isn't enough to cause a moment of insanity, I don't know what is. Right. So I think it's worth mentioning, but I think the circumstances here are sufficiently different that I don't feel like Barth is a serious candidate. Which brings us back to Colbjorn. Yeah. Yeah. Are we comfortable? I'm pretty comfortable saying that Colbjorn is the worst person in this saga. He seems to be the logical choice. Uh, we could throw in, if if it was on Icelandic soil, we could throw in Jolstein, uh killing Ralfgrani. <laughs> Absolutely. With his, with his crucifix. But, uh, but as far as we know, Jolstein never even visits Iceland. So Yeah. You know, uh, but maybe I, we don't know where they were sailing exactly when that happened. So maybe, but but not really. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Colbjorn seems the logical choice here. Yeah. I think we're going to outlaw Colbjorn, and I yeah. think Iceland will be a better place for it. See you, Colbjorn. Watch your nose on the way out the door. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that we've waved a not-so-fond farewell to Colbjorn, we can get to the more pleasant business of sifting through this shambolic saga to find new friends, new supporters for our fantasy meat hall teams. Mm -hmm. Andy and I flipped a coin before we recorded, and the god of coin flips was with you this time, sir. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, there are a few options here, but it's not like this saga is 
packed full of super compelling protagonists. I mean, if you want to defer, I'm happy to go first this time. Well, I, I seriously considered it, but there is a candidate that I just, I can't pass up. I, I <laughs> it, It's too good. So no, All right. I'm, I'm sticking All right. with it. Very well. Uh, I think I've identified three candidates who would reflect almost equally well on us. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see which one you're going with. Yeah. The floor is yours. Well, I mean, it seems like, you know, as you start this saga, um, the obvious choice would be Barth, right? He is not only a mighty and influential character in the saga, um, he's also an, a, a godlike figure. He has saint-like powers who can appear and help you at a moment's notice. Although I question now that Christianity has come to Iceland, whether that will uh, whether that will last, whether Barth's powers fade with time. Uh, another great candidate is his son Guest, who, in many ways, in my opinion, is the cooler and more interesting character <laughs> in the saga. He's fun to follow. He um, he's able to defeat many many trolls and ogres and giants and undead. He's your typical saga hero, and he would be the most logical candidate. Um, then there's of course Thord. Thord is less impressive. Um, Thord. You know, if you're thinking about... We're getting into the weeds here, Andy. (laughs) Yeah, which I'm not choosing Thord, but Thord does, you know, save the lady and kill a... Almost kills a a, a troll by himself, but he gets guests help. So yeah, Thord's not a great option. So you just keep edging out on that limb. Yeah, I'm going to leave him for you. Um, There's one more candidate that... there is. ...is quite appealing to my mind. He's an unusual candidate, but he's a wonderful candidate... (laughs) <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Snouty the Wonder Dog. Snouty, Snouty, Snouty the Wonder Dog. Um, neither of us has a, a canine companion in our That's group correct. of Thingmen. One could argue that uh, in Njal Saga, Gunnar's dog would have been a great choice, but... Njal but Saga, in Njal Saga, really? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Snouty the Wonder Dog is the kind of companion who you can give a direct order to go kill a troll mm-hmm. wife, and he's going to run up the cliff and he's going to get it done. I think what you'll find is that even more impressively, he doesn't actually need orders. Right. He, he, thinks he takes himself. it upon himself to go kill the troll wife. Snouty the Wonder Dog is perhaps the most exciting, qualified, and dare I say wonderful candidate in this saga. And I'm so excited to uh, welcome him into my Thingman group. Snouty the Wonder Dog, get over here and get your kibble. Good boy. He's a good boy, uh, isn't he? He's such yes, a good boy. Uh, look, I'm not going to say a word against Snouty the Wonder Dog. Nor uh, should you. I think I think we've covered on here that I'm all about the canines, and I think Snouty will be a delightful addition to your hall. Oh, we're going to have uh, such a great time, aren't we? Aren't we, boy? Yeah. Yes, we are. Uh, now, I'm going in a slightly different direction, though. Oh. Andy... Over the last seven years, we've had a wide variety of men and women and even dogs enter our halls. <laughs> I've got warriors, poets, lawyers, sorceresses, law speakers, you name it. But one thing neither of us has been able to boast until now is a god. <laughs> a land spirit. A, a land deity spirit. of the mountains of Iceland. Mm-hmm. Andy, as much as I respect your choice, we're just mirror images on this saga. You got the dog and I got the god. <laughs> Barth is a patron to his people, a land god saint to those who call on him in need, and a powerful enemy to those who displease him. I think we agree he's not actually a god in the full Assyrian sense of the term, but he's unquestionably the closest we're ever going to get 
to having one in our meat halls. Yeah. So I call on the might and the friendship, the protection and the strength of Barth, the god of Snaffel, to grace my hall and oversee our after-dinner games of Monkey in the Middle. <laughs> Welcome, Barth. Poor guest is just left on the table. I oh. mean, guest, you know, you try to make a case for him as a typical saga hero. I find him a bit bland, frankly. Uh, well, because uh, he the, is the so fact typical. That his, yes, and the fact that his name is even just guy who walked in. Right. Um, not not going to sell me on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, the thing that I'm worried about now is when our two groups of thingmen come to blows and you and I are squaring <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm worried that my my belt will suddenly break, and I'm going to have to trust <laughs> Snouchy the Wonder Dog to be there to hike my breeches up for me while I finish just you to, off. Just make sure that isn't happening uh, out at sea, because we all know that Snouty's uh, mortal weakness is water. Oh, poor Snouty. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's that's great. Great choices for both of us. Let's uh, let's see uh, let's, let's see how we feel about this saga, John. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Final rating. All right, John. Uh, I uh, I chose Thingman first, so that means you get to share your opinions about Barth Saga first. I've been waiting a long time to hear what you'll say. <laughs> I have a feeling I know. What you're going to score, however, is a great mystery to me. Uh-huh. I'm predicting that you're going to go under five, but okay. will you go over two? Yeah, I think so. So we're looking at 2.5 to 4.5 in that range. Let's see what you do. Okay. Um, Andy, I'd like to go on record as saying that I've completely changed my mind about this saga from when we started reading it. Oh, dear. I, I won't be saying that, but I'd like to. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that Barth Saga is something of a unicorn. There really isn't anything else in the corpus quite like it. And the question is whether or not that's a good thing. Uh, for a lot of reasons, I'm tempted to say, yeah, it's a good thing that there isn't more than one of these. As Armin Jakobsen writes, the author of Bar the Saga would be an unlikely candidate for the Nobel Prize in literature. <laughs> it's, it's not well organized narratively. It spends its first half in search of a coherent structure. And Barth's status as a land spirit saint troll lacks definition and never really pays off the promise of its premise. It's a mess of motifs and half-told tales, and there was a time in reading this for the podcast that I honestly worried whether we'd find something constructive to talk about at all. And I've never had that experience preparing a saga for this before. Uh, I'm not saying we um, we did find something constructive to say, but at least we didn't run out of conversation topics. What about Dearth I mean, Widow, John? I mean, at one point, you and I were worried about whether or not to even include this saga among the family sagas of Icelanders. Uh, now, having said that, I'm glad we did decide to include it because what charms it has is in its kind of betwixt and between nature. This is a saga that partakes of the family sagas, but that also shares a handful of qualities with bishop sagas or saints' lives, and is probably most similar to the fantasy sagas, the Fernoldersaga, the uh, legendary tales. Paul Schock calls this saga either a serious fiction by a superstitious author or a generic farce by a sophisticated one. I'm not sure it has to be one or the other, but the story's enigmatic nature does lend itself to that kind of attempted solution. But then it also has interests that seem independent of any particular context. Uh, it's focus on the traumas suffered by women, for instance. That's an unexpected prize in this saga, and I'm honestly surprised that it isn't cited more often in scholarly work. 
I'm interested in the hagiographical characteristics of the saga myself. We talked about that a bit. Uh, the way this writer positions someone like Barth as a kind of nature godling who interacts with the people of his land in ways that resemble the miraculous and even intercessory powers of a saint. There's a lot to be said on that subject, and I'm actually trying to decide whether to continue going down that particular rabbit hole and maybe try to pull a uh, conference paper or something out of this. Mm. Uh, looking ahead to a time when conferences happen again. Uh, Certainly the blending of Christian and traditional folklore will reward close study for anyone who decides to really dig into this text. And as you hinted a few minutes ago when you were talking about your um, the Thingman, there is something slightly compelling about the second half of the saga. Guest story offers an insight into the life of a man shaped by the actions and feuds of a previous generation, but not defined by them. Guest's isolation and his halting and limited friendship with his younger brothers is told in a way that's slightly different from what we've seen before. And his eventual rejection of the spiritual world that literally and figuratively absorbed his father is a different approach to exploring the conversion story and the, and the stresses surrounding that religious shift. But the narrative is also spare, even by saga standards. As we said, what humor it offers seems mostly to be an accident of composition. And ultimately, most of what it has to say about the actual conversion is a pastiche of well-worn tropes. This is a saga that strives to be cleverly constructed, and I don't think it actually succeeds. But at least it's trying to create something. And uh, if Will Beale's analysis of the saga didn't sell me on the saga's quality, it did convince me that there was a great deal here to interest somebody who's already a saga enthusiast. I could keep going about this, but I'm going to leave a a few stones for you to turn over. I think this rates slightly below where I'd put something like a Kjalnasinga saga. Uh, actually, Guest reminds me somewhat of Bowie and Vidersen from that saga. And I ranked that one right around the middle of the pack. I think I have to dock this a couple of points, though, for the complete narrative shambles of most of its length. But I'll add back a half point here or there for the focus on female trauma and, for, of course, for the troll, the, the, uh, troll stoneboats. <laughs> I'm going to make this... A 4.5. And I feel like I'm being generous, and I'm blaming Will Beal for that. That's the upper end of what I uh, thought you'd you'd do. Yep. I'm surprised, to be honest with you. I am too. Because, yeah, well. (laughs) Let's move on quickly before I change my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, like like we said many times while reviewing Barth's saga, this is one of those sagas that tends to divide people. Uh, There's a lot here that bothers me, I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest. But most of my issues are with the first half in that section. And I think you're really going hard on that section um, and and kind of suggesting that it, it that represents the whole. It doesn't. Um, but in that section, it's problematic. Many chapters there read like catalogs of names with very little narrative thread to hold it together. Mm-hmm. As the author compiles his lists after lists after lists, he often loses focus on any semblance of, of a story. That he's trying to tell. And as we progress, the author often seems far more interested in links to other sagas than in storytelling. He keeps dropping in other characters, other events, but just reporting them, not incorporating them in a clever way, in the in the way mm-hmm. that, for example, Greta Saga does. Greta Saga is fascinated with the history of saga narratives, but it does it consciously and well, in in my opinion. This one too often feels like a sketch rather than a fully conceived and well-executed saga, mm-hmm. at least until you get to Guest's saga. Right. Now, see, this is where I think I'm going to say that, well, you criticize me for going too hard on the first half. 
I think you're going to emphasize too much the second half as redeeming this saga. Well, I mean, but go on. Look, if you look at the episodes that we did, right? We did one episode on the first part and we were very nonplussed about what happened in that one. We had intended, though, to just wrap it up quickly. But because there's so much happening, we decided to extend the discussion into three episodes. This saga has a lot going for it, a lot that I genuinely appreciate and enjoy. Like others, I really like the uh, the, the saga's more dynamic episodes and somewhat nuanced approach to the family saga through the lens of trolls or ogres or whatever you want to call them. In our discussion with Will in our previous episode, we outlined all the ways that this saga fits the family saga genre so nicely while still being innovative in its handling of the genre and its expectations. I really enjoyed the idea of a family saga where the family in question is actually made up of unusual characters like Barth and guests and the myriad other odd figures who populate this story. There's a vague awareness of otherness here that can be read in some interesting ways if one wants to push it in that direction. And there's also a sympathetic appreciation for the experience of women, as you suggested, in early Icelandic culture, and an interest in pushing back against that through subversive characters like Barth's daughter Helga, a physically strong woman who can handle herself against most men. Again, the saga can be read for social commentary if one wants to, and so I think that's worthy of some points. But I'd also add that this saga has some genuinely entertaining episodes once the ball gets rolling. The various parties in Troll Caves, the battle with Kolbjorn, the addition of Snouty the Wonder Dog, the appearance of... Oh, John, Snouty the Wonder Dog, a dog who fights <laughs> battles. Not like, not like a dog, but fights battles like a human companion. Pretty impressive and clever. Also, we have the appearance of Odin as a pushy pagan preacher who then gets mm-hmm. clobbered and drowned. And we have the battle with Ragnar. Uh, I'm just going to break in to say that we can't. We never actually got proof that that was Odin. They may have just murdered an old man. <laughs> Either way, it, it, the, even that that's a question suggests that there's some, <laughs> some something here worth clinging to. Um, sure. And then the possibly whole, the side of the boat as they try to beat you to death and throw you <laughs> off of it. Yeah. But the, the saga ends with this climactic appearance of King Olaf in a very interesting, unusual appearance for king Olaf. saintly even yeah he he shows up out of the blue to save the day magically appearing out of nowhere it's it's great there's a lot of great stuff and john let's not forget the iron shoes what would this saga be without those crates of iron shoes i mean it's a bit of literary genius that absolutely (laughs) my point is the saga has a lot to offer it's a good time and it's worth reading if you can get through the first part and if you had asked me what I'd give this saga after our first episode, I legit, I would have said a two. And I think you were there with me. <laughs> um, yeah. But after spending three episodes on the summary and then an interview on Barth Saga with uh, Will Beal, I, I have actually found a lot to appreciate about it. Now, I don't think I'm going to go crazy with my rating like a certain interviewee that we just talked to. Um, this is not in the seven <laughs> range, Will. Uh, but I'm not dumping Barth Saga in the bin either. This one gets a solid 5.5 from me. And that 0.5... You... That 0.5 that 5, dragged out of you by horses. I saw your face when you said no, that. No, <laughs> I, I, I came in intending it to be a 5.5 because I want to hint with that 0.5 that this mm-hmm. one is a little bit better than okay in my book. Huh. So a 5.5. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm going to point out that the last time that we had an, a saga that we thought was going to be two episodes that ended up being extended to three was Floamon a saga. And we both hated that one. <laughs> I mean, it sometimes happen. we're just sometimes we're just rage discussing these, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, Flow Monosaga. Here's the difference between Flow Monosaga and this one. Flow Monosaga has the potential to have all of these exciting episodes, right? But it falls flat. And it never does. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I I'm sorry. As much as you want to poo poo all over, uh, you want to you want to drit. I want to drit, Vic. <laughs> all over this thing. Once guest enters the story, we get distinct episodes that are entertaining and fun. We have all of those. I mean, from the trolls to the Dungeons I'm, and Dragons uh, quest, it's it's entertaining and interesting. I'm pretty sure I said that the most compelling part of this is guest's narrative, yeah, and the ways that he ne- negotiates the changeover from the pagan to the Christian. I believe I said that. I'll remind you that that's the majority of the saga. The the, the Barth part is just the beginning. It's really not. It's not terribly it's, long. It's almost exactly 50-50. Mm. Eh. Um, but that's fine. We only, we're only we only off by a point here. Exactly. We're only we off by a point. I think it's, I feel we've given it a fair assessment. It's mm-hmm. definitely worth reading, especially for saga enthusiasts. This is a little something, uh, a little a little uh, change a little of pace, a little a little exactly. uh, change of flavor. It's, it's a little bouche Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, so that's a four and a half for me, a five and a half for Mandy. That puts us at a, uh, a very even-handed 10 out of possible 20. That's right at the midpoint. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment of the saga. Yeah. Um, but that, of course, brings us to our much-needed conclusion of Barth's mm-hmm. saga, which John was hoping for weeks and weeks ago. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> no, we, we legit, we intended to maybe knock this one out, I think, when we first started in a single episode. We wanted to do both mm-hmm. the summary and the judgments, just like old times. Um, but we instead devoted five episodes to it. So, you know. That left us a lot of room to uh, get to know the characters and enjoy their hijinks and left a lot of room for discussion and for John and I to make fools of ourselves, as we always do. <laughs> yeah, and there's a better than average chance we might have embarrassed ourselves somewhere in there. Yeah. But uh, maybe we said something of value at some point as well. If, uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us and share your thoughts, respond to our discussion or ask a question of your own. You have so many options. Indeed you do. Yes, you can reach us on most social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, which are oddly combined. And I know they're from the same company, but like you post on one, it shows up on the other. So why, do they, true? why do they exist separately? I don't know. But if you want to communicate with us on those platforms, we are Saga Thing Podcast. Or reach us on Twitter at Saga Thing Pod. Or you can send us an email at Saga Thing Podcast at gmail.com. And listen, if that's not enough, then you can visit our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com, and leave us a kind comment with the episode that you're responding to. And if all those options leave you unsatisfied, then you can just write whatever you want to say on a roll of toilet paper, drop it off your ship into the waters of Dritvik, and hope the tides are kind to you. Uh, I would use a very strong toilet paper if you're going to do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't want it dissolving in the, uh, in the bay. I don't know what kind of toilet paper you're using, Andy, but uh, I hate to see your your pipes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that seems like the most logical way to reach us. So there you go. But before we go, I just want to say thanks once again to Brian Faust, who was our guest illustrator for all of Bard Saga. If you haven't looked at the show notes for each episode or seen our posts about Brian's work on social media, please be sure to check it out. You can find Brian's illustrations of the Icelandic sagas and Norse mythology on Instagram, where he is Scarpathan underscore illustrator. 
go ahead and follow him there and support his work. He's really great. And if we're lucky, he might just hang around <laughs> to illustrate some more sagas for us. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. It's always a great surprise to discover people creating things inspired by this silly podcast or, or by the literature we love. Yeah. Speaking of which, there's a new podcast out there inspired by Saga Thing that we want to recommend to you all. Is there? Yes, absolutely. If you already enjoy medieval literature and its wacky sensibilities, then you're going to love The Maniculum, a podcast hosted by Mac Boyle and Zoe Franznick, two academics who share our passion for the obscure and bizarre in medieval literature. And together they are pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. Ah, like a manicula, like, I gotcha. Yeah, exactly like a manicula. Only, I would guess that most of our listeners won't know what a manicula is. Oh, true, yes. Uh, a manicula is a marginal illustration in medieval manuscripts that looks like a little hand, mm -hmm. uh, which is literally what the word means, uh, little hand. The little hand usually points to something particularly important or interesting in the text. So it's kind of like a a drawn-in post-it note. Exactly, right. So the Maniculum podcast is designed to point out some interesting features of medieval literature that doesn't usually get the attention that it deserves. And in addition to being pretty funny, the hosts are also academics who know their stuff, so you can trust them. You can That'd be a nice change of pace from us. <laughs> yes, right. Yes. Um, and you can find the Maniculum podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. And I'll also post a link to their website in our show notes. So excellent. Uh, now, if the Maniculum is inspired by our podcast, does that mean that the boys from Rex Factor are now podcast grandpas? That's true. Yes, they're podcast grandpas. And they're still <laughs> so young. So congratulations, Graham and Ali. Cigars all around. Well done. Yay! And we can add the uh, maniculum to our list of Rexipods, which at this point includes, what, Rex Factor itself, mm -hmm. Totalis Rankium, Totalis Rankium American Presidents, and Pontifacts. The family's growing, Andy. Yes, we, we're going to soon the farm will be running itself. <laughs> well, hopefully we can keep all these mouths fed. I wouldn't want to get into a situation where we have to expose a poor podcast child because we can't keep it fed. Oh, Andy. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, if the if the sagas are right, that child would inevitably be adopted by someone and then grow up to be important and bigger and better than anything we could have become ourselves. Wait a second now. I see. Yeah, if that's true, then I wish that we had been left out to die by Rex Factor when we first started. <laughs> if that's true, then Graham and Ollie really let us down by, <laughs> by taking they care of us. They were far too nurturing and helpful. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> We could have reached a million downloads long ago if they just found it in their hearts to heave us off a rocky crag somewhere. Damn them. <laughs> All right. Like everything else on this podcast, we have uh, once again pushed it too far. Uh, that's it for us. Say goodbye to Barth Saga. We're going to be back soon with, uh, what did we say we're going to do? Uh, I don't know which one we decided we're doing. We'll be, we'll be back soon with another saga. <laughs> that's right. We, we will. We will be back with another one soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. to say like body count or anything we just run right no in, but don't we? but yeah i'm just waiting for you to do the introduction such as you uh according to our agreement we're going to do yeah but you know like a lot of times before i like to before we start i always hear your dulcet tones 
Um, they kind of soothe me, calm me, and then I'm ready to begin. All right. All right. So I'll, I'll do it just for you. Here give, we go. Give me something. Uh, get off your ass and do it, Andy. Mm-hmm. How's that? Mm-hmm. It's not exactly what I was looking for. I was, I, I was thinking more like church bells. Um, Anar did not poop himself, Andy. <laughs> How's that? Uh, maybe you could just say body count and get me like in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm sorry, I didn't realize you need you need a little foreplay before you could actually like record this podcast. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, let I, me let me let me just uh, let me see if I can fluff you from a thousand miles away. Uh, body count. Oh, that sounded good. Okay. 